Hi, this is James Altucher. Thank you for listening to Eric Cabral's Entrepreneur Circle. On this episode... I teach on this topic of the five keys to a life of success, significance, and happiness. And one of those five keys is, is a growth mindset. And a growth mindset in the great book by Carol Dweck called Mindset, I highly recommend. And the, the concept of growth mindset is the belief that if you're willing to sort of learn hard enough and work hard enough and put forth the effort to learn and put forth the effort to do, you can do anything. Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Circle, where we've built a community that shares lessons learned throughout our journeys, celebrate wins, our eureka moments, and embrace the F word, meaning failure, which I've come to realize that failure is success in progress. I'm Eric Cabral, your host, a husband, a father of two brilliant girls, and I've been called a heart-centered entrepreneur by my peers and mentors. My mission in life is to make the world a better place, one mic at a time. So I'm happy and humble to have you join in on that mission. And I hope that by the end of the show, we would have added value in your life. So if you're ready to jump into the circle, let's get to it. Hey, I'm so glad you're here because I don't often get the opportunity to share with you exactly what I do and what we do here at On Air Brands. So we help the folks in our community and our clients to launch a podcast and then produce them on a weekly basis. We also help to promote each episode with close to a dozen social media posts that consist of quote cards, sound bites, and video clips. And then we post them for you on your socials automatically. So if you're a business owner with a ton on your plate and a podcast just seems super overwhelming, I get it. We don't need one more thing to worry about. So let me and my team at On Air Brands do the heavy lifting each week so that you can focus on what you do best, which is to build your business, have more time to pour into your family and your community, or just plain chill and recharge. So feel free to email me at eric at On Air Brands so that we can book time together to chat about how we can align with your mission and how you can align with ours, which is to make the world better one mic at a time. Now back to the show. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Entrepreneur Circle. I'm your most happy and humbled host, as usual, Eric Cabral here. And I am with an amazing person that I am super excited to bring to you and to learn a boatload about systems, teams, processes, organizations, and building elite organizations. Welcome to the show, Don Winter. Well, thank you, Eric. It's awesome to be here with you today. Dude, I have so many questions and so many uh, things to share with you. But first, for anyone who doesn't know, we're going to share with you who Don is. So he's the founder and CEO of DLP Real Estate Capital, which is a private real estate investment and financial services company. He and his team make an impact on the world by acquiring and developing and building real estate, but also building relationships organizations, leaders within those organizations, and his company, DLP, which stands for Dream, Live, and Prosper, their mission is to create prosperity, make their impact by investing in communities. He's also developed this system. And if you haven't heard of this book, I'm holding it here. If you're listening, uh, forgive me. But for those of you who are watching, Building an Elite Organization, 
which is the system that I was talking about, where um, he just tells you <laughs> how to run your group, how to run and grow and have success. Speaking of success, he, for 10 consecutive years, he and his team have been uh, awarded the Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. And they have closed over 20,000 deals, totaling over $6 billion. I don't know if that's changed, Don, since the last time we've read this, but that's six with a B. What's really cool about Don is um, he's a leader within our, our community. And when I say that, within our GoBundance community, we are in the mastermind that many of you already know. I'm always talking about GoBundance and how much we love it. But Don has spoken on stages. I've seen him on stage. I've seen him signing books at GoBundance. He's a leader that's always sharing his ideas and his experience with everyone. So I really, really um, love and respect the people that love and respect Don. That's the first time I even noticed when John uh, Josh McCallan mentioned you. And I was like, whoa. I was like, what's going on? And then there was times 20, times 30 people that all love and respect you. Um, so brother, I'm so happy that we're finally here one-on-one to chat about everything that you're doing in life, business, and the world. Well, thank you. It was a very, very kind introduction. <laughs> Dude. So let's get into it, man. Let's ask and start with the first question of the day, which is your eureka moment. Cause a major pivot or challenge. Take it away. Yeah. So to get my eureka moment, I'll have to give kind of just one moment prior to that. So the first moment that I thought of it to be thought might be my Eureka moment, but turned out not to be was uh, in eighth grade. I was on a in a career day in eighth grade. You might remember those. And um, a guy came in and he was a financial advisor and he handed out this little laminated chart that showed financial advisors made more money than doctors, lawyers, accountants and all the jobs your parents tell you to be. And as an eighth grader, at least um, what I took from what he taught was that to be a great financial advisor and make what I think he said the average made 150000 a year, you had to be entrepreneurial, self-starter, and you had to be good at math. And I was like, well, that's me. Um, so I started shadowing financial advisors in eighth grade. And I thought I could do their job, not when I was an adult, I thought I could do their job better than them in eighth grade. Um, and simply because, you know, I went into these appointments and, you know, and I'm sitting there taking notes and, Pay attention to what the person says. And after the meeting, kind of go, hey, are you going to follow up with the sister she talked about who, you know, his husband just died? And uh, what are you talking about? You know, well, yeah, maybe. Right. And, and following up with him again a week and he had never followed up and called the person. Right. Just realizing the lack of kind of focus and, and um, effort by multiple different financial advisors I met with. So I thought that's what I was going to do. Um, moved out of my parents' house as a junior in high school. Um, went out on my own, but knew that's what I was going to do. So I got all my licenses when I turned 18. I went to Drexel University studying finance, but knew I was going into kind of wealth management. Uh, then when I was about 19, my Eureka moment came about when I would wait tables on the weekends to um, to, to pay for school and, and life and so forth. And um, a guy kept asking me to come work for him. And uh, finally, one day I, I went and met with him uh, one morning and he told me what he did. He was in the ADT security business. And um, and what that meant is, you know, he sold alarm systems. And so he convinced me that if I came to work for him, I would make $2,000 a week as a 19-year-old in college. It sounded pretty good. Some reason I believed him. Um, I took the job. First paycheck was $5,280. Um, I was making six to $8,000 every two weeks. 
And uh, it was it was pretty uh, pretty exciting. But the the big moment came is he was the first entrepreneur I ever met. First entrepreneur I knew. You know, my mom ran a home daycare. My dad was a prison guard. No one in my family was in business. I didn't know anybody owned their own business. I'd I'd never you know met with it. Not only did he run this security business, he also had a real estate business. He was a real estate agent at Keller Williams Real Estate, and this was October. Uh, this was 2006, and um, and so as I'm going out there, literally, you know, knocking on doors, selling alarm systems uh, for him, he's out, you know, selling real estate. And one day he told me, you know, if I could sell alarm systems, uh, I could sell real estate. Never until that moment I had that conversation did I ever think about real estate. Never did I consider going into real estate. Never even comprehend. Never gave it one moment of thought in my life. Um, uh, and that day I decided I was going to go into real estate. Um, two weeks later, I had my real estate license. Um, day one, my message was your home sold guaranteed or I'll buy it. And I hit the ground running in October, 2006, which was the peak of the real estate market in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. Um, but took off from there. So that, that, that m- moment of meeting Nathan and taking an opportunity of a job with him and letting that kind of take me down this path into real estate, you know, forever changed my course and um uh and and the path that I that I've been on, you know, ever since about 17 years now. Wow. That's amazing, man. Um shoosh. so that was a whirlwind. That was a lot of uh montage uh floating and and and, and exposition see like seeing it all in my head and Nathan um coming around. He must he must be amazed by what you've built so far. I mean like and, and you're not stopping. It's just continuing to grow and um, where you've taken it, um, you know, from that first concept of, hey, uh, you want to come over here and, and, and make this amount of money a week, which ended up being more. And then saying, hey, if you could sell alarm systems, you could sell real estate. Talk about that. Like you, you a lot of people have sort of limiting beliefs in terms of what they're capable of, what they're worthy of. Did your upbringing allow you to sort of, because within two weeks you had your license. So how quickly were you able to move through that? Was was he instrumental or he was just the idea and then you always had it within you? Kind of like, we're going to do this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and you know, the when I said, when I gave the story of the financial advisor path, that was almost my Eureka moment. It was almost my Eureka moment because of the, the question you just asked, which is I realized at that point, and as I reflect back, I realized that, and I don't know what what caused it, um, in me, meaning as a, you know, as a parent today, I have a 10, nine and, and one year old boys. And you wanted to figure out what are the things that instill, you know, success in your children and, and how do you, you know, make sure to, um, to put them in the best position to be, you know, to be successful and happy and, and, and so forth. And, but, uh, and I teach on this, uh, topic of the five keys to a life of success, significance and happiness. And one of those five keys is, is a growth mindset. And a growth mindset in the great book by Carol Dweck called Mindset, I highly recommend. And the, the concept of growth mindset is the belief that if you're willing to learn, you know, sort of learn hard enough and work hard enough, you know, put forth the effort to learn and put forth the effort to do, you can do anything. And for whatever reason, um, I had that belief in me, um, that confidence in me at a very young age, despite growing up, you know, essentially poor, despite my parents having no no background or not encouraging me to, to do anything specific, um, just had that that belief. And so when I met with this financial advisor in eighth grade and started shadowing, I legitimately didn't, I can remember it vividly, not thinking like, hey, when I'm 25 years old, I, I can do this guy's job. I remember in eighth grade thinking, I could do this right now. I could do it better than this guy. Not in a, you know, only to myself, not in like a conceited way, but just confidence. Like, 
I'm going to work harder, right? I'm going to take notes. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to be organized. I'm going to follow up with people. I'm going to, you know, this isn't, this isn't that, you know, kind of difficult. And so when I went into real estate, I I had that similar mindset to say, all right, why can't I do this? One of the cool things about Keller Williams, at least back in 2006 is they had this thing, I think they called it the crystal reports. And you could see how much money everybody in the company was making. And one of the things I quickly learned in real estate is that real estate agents often take their best month ever, they multiply it by two, and they extract it over 12 months. And that's how many homes they say they sell a year, right? So if they sold six homes in a month one time, they say they sell you know 100 homes a year, right? Um, so they you know tend to exaggerate a little bit, right? And so the fact that I could go and see how much money everybody was making in my office, but in the whole country, it gave me you know real data to say, all right, who's actually successful? And I remember sitting down with the team leader at the Keller Williams office, probably still something they do today. You sit down with the team leader as a new agent and you go through this kind of you know process of talking about what are your goals. And, um, and I remember telling him that I was going to be the top agent in the office. And I was in a decent sized office, 150 agents. And I told him this year I was going to be the top agent in the office my first year. And he laughed me out of the office, right? I mean, he just laughed me. I'm, you know, granted, I was 20 years old, but he laughed me out of the office. Like, I don't understand. I'm so naive. It takes years to build a, a, a client base, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I I sat, was in the office enough to see how, you know, lazy people were, how much people spent sitting around doing nothing, how little time people really spent prospecting, how little, you know, and I just like, well, I'm going to do more than everybody else, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work harder, right? Like it, it just, it, it, it didn't compute to me why I couldn't, right? And so for me, it took me until five months to have my first sale. Um, but that month I had, I think seven. And then from the, that month to the end of the year, I closed about 70 transactions for 250 grand in commissions. And I was the top agent in the office within that first year. Um, and then by the next year, I was the number one agent in the entire market out of 2,200 agents. Um, and then the next year I was the top agent in the state. And, you know, th- I kept raising the bar to what that goal was until, you know, my world started, started changing and realized, well, being the top agent, you know, wasn't my my goal. And I started building an investment business, started with home flipping and, and building into other areas. But every time I, I kind of decided to approach and go into something else, um, I, I always went with confidence that I'd be willing to put forth the work to learn and and to do. And one last note to that question, when I got started and I would look at this Keller Williams report to all the top agents, I started um, uh, using Craigslist. So in 2006, early 2007, Craigslist sort of just came out and I was spamming Craigslist like crazy marketing homes and marketing my guaranteed sale program. And it was free. You just had to do the work and post the ads every day and kind of work the Craigslist algorithms and whatnot. So I started reaching out to the top agents around the country and I started telling him, hey, would you like me to come and show you how you can sell 100 homes for free a year on Craigslist? And so these top agents would take my meeting for me to come show them how to do this, right? And I would show up as a you know, 20, 20 year old kid, right, with four pages of questions for them, right? And, you know, and, and what I found is successful people uh, take a liking to people who are motivated and driven and want to learn and really you can tell are going to do something about it. So when I came in with all these questions, right, they started taking a liking. They'd give me information. They started inviting me to these mastermind groups. And and all of a sudden now I was in the room with the people who knew what they were doing, right? And that's kind of the approach I've always said. Anytime I go into something new, I say, well, somebody else is doing it now. All I need to go is find that person and learn from them, right? And and find as many people as I need to to learn from to then go out and do it. Dude, 
So much to unpack, dude. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I don't start to go back and then work our way towards where we are now or start with the now. Um, so, oh my goodness. So, man. Okay. I'm going to start with the question. You said you had four, you know, you had multiple questions to ask them when they came to show up for these things. Yeah. Do you remember some of those questions that you, and and, and did you find these yeah. online or these are just things that you made up? Just things that, you know, when you're, when you're spending a lot of time, so I would spend, you know, my approach as a, you know, as a young agent, and this wasn't just my first year, it's for years, was eight to eight, there's only two things I can do. I can prospect and I can be in appointments. That's it, right? Um, and so everything else had to happen outside of those hours, right? So late at night, I'd be doing my research and working the, I don't know if it even exists anymore, the active rain type websites and researching these chat boards and, and reading any book I could and researching the websites of top agents and seeing what they're doing and trying to find out what ads and how they present themselves and what technologies they use and what website company they hired and, and, and so forth. Right. So, um, so I went in with a bunch of questions. How do you, how do you go about hiring agents? Do you choose agents from your office? Do you bring agents into the business? What's your commission splits? How do you structure those commission? What are your top lead generation systems? You know, what are your conversion rates? What percentage do you convert to a point? What percentage of appointments do you convert to closing? What percentage, you know, and, you know, so all these, these types of questions on, and how do you, how do you do it? Right. How do you run the business? You know, what technologies do you use? What's your marketing budget? Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, do you, do you keep your office within the Keller Williams office or do you keep your own office? Do you expand any other business lines? What do you charge for commissions? Do you charge any other fees? Do you charge anything up front? Do you make your buyer sign a buyer agency agreement? Do you, you know, so lots and lots of those types of questions um, um, were the things that I that I asked. Yeah, and once you extracted, um, I'm guessing through this form or something where they you collected all this data, did you give them custom solutions or everyone had sort of the same solution? So I went to them with a uh, approach. I'm going to teach you how to use Craigslist, right? So generally, they put me in touch with their coordinator, the marketing person. I would show them how to do that, and then I'd say, "Well, you know, I'd like to ask you some questions." And I would go and ask them questions for my benefit. It wasn't necessarily for theirs. It was me picking their brain on what I could, what I could learn from them. And and certainly, I learned lots of great things and and a lot of shortcuts and a lot of things that I didn't have to go figure out on my own. But then I also learned. Um, a lot of similar challenges that that they all had and hadn't figured out, right? Because mm-hmm. I would spend a lot of time as an example, finding out, you know, and this was back again in 2006, 2008, when we're at kind of market that's going down and homes are sitting on the market forever. They're not selling. It's taking two, three, four times of homes being listed to sell. You know, it's a very challenging market. And also it's a challenging market that home buyers, because there were so many homes on the market, you know, would take forever and look at homes 10 times and wouldn't make a decision. There was just so much homes and the market was so uncertain. So I remember lots of people kind of struggling with this, these types of problems. And so I remember from meeting so many people um, having the same issue, I, I decided I'm, I'm going to come up with a solution, right? I'm, I'm, there's there's got to be a different way to do this. And that's one of the great things when you enter a business with a kind of a naive slate of, of what's possible and you, and you don't go in saying, well, this is the way it has to be done. One day I decided, well, I'm going to start uh, having people come. I, I learned the hard way that being a Pop-Tart agent, you know, popping out and just showing houses to people, you know, ends up being a waste of time a lot of times. So I started getting people to come to my office before so I could sit down, do a needs and a wants analysis. And I was doing that for a while. And that helped me build a relationship instead of just popping out and showing a home. They didn't like it. And, and I wasted my time. But then one day I decided I'm going to start charging $495 to represent them up front. 
So all of a sudden I used to do my normal thing. Here's the consumer notice, went over the buyer agency agreement. I said, all right, so you're only going to have to pay one fee now um, uh, prior to uh, to closing. And this is a fee that will get reimbursed to you part of closing. Um, it's $495. Would you prefer to use a check or a credit card? And everybody said, oh, you know, look to each other, husband and wife. Oh, I have a checkbook on me or have a credit card. Great. And I just acted like it was perfectly normal. And all of a sudden I was doing three, four meetings a day in my office and I was collecting two grand up front. But the big the big change wasn't that I was getting the money up front, which when I brought that into the Keller Williams office, they didn't know what to do with these checks, how to process them. What, what you know, like, you know, they had to talk to the, the uh, you know, state realtor board if this was even allowed to be done. Right. Um, but the big difference wasn't that I got the money up front, which was helpful for sure. But it was that now they were committed. So what I would think about was when they left looking at a home with me, if I didn't have any money invested, the que- the question, especially say they already owned a home, would be, well, do we really want to move? I don't know. Maybe we'll just remodel the basement or the kitchen or I, I don't know. Is it worth it? Right. They're still debating if they're going to do it. Right. Yeah. Once they give me that $495 check, they're now when they leave the house saying, all right, are we going to put an offer on this home or do we want to look at another one? Right. We're moving now. Right. So I went from 17 homes on average that I showed to get an offer to five, right? Just with that one change. And there were some other changes we implemented to, to, to kind of get people to decisions and buy homes faster, but that was one of them. So, um, so, you know, learned a lot from going and meeting people, but also saw consistent gaps that, that then created solutions for. Mm. Man. Okay. Dude, you blow my mind right now. It's too early in the morning and I didn't finish all my coffee. <laughs> here's here's the top three things that um that I've recognized make successful individuals. Like if anybody ever wants to jump into okay, we're we're coming into 2023 and there's a lot of ah skies falling, people are worried about what's happening and this really three simple things that people forget. And you, I wanna I want I wanna distill this down how you did all this and sort of inherently knew, or you learned it and you read it, or you watched it be you know executed by others. But number one is sales. Like, dude, you crush sales, right? So I'm just going to speed through. Number one is sales, building elite teams, organizations, right? Number two, and then three is leading those teams. Like you have to learn how to be a a leader or servant leader. And you, number one, dude, where did that sales prowess come from? Like, did you read books? Did it just come to you naturally? Yeah, it's a a great question, you know, and... and, um... I don't know where, you know, came from initially, you know, it started for me in, in kindergarten. And, and I think, you know, and this is, you know, my children are, are growing up in a different environment than, than I did as, as, you know, they're growing up with, with, you know, prosperity and, and wealth. And um, so, you know, I had real struggle. Um, and, and if I wanted anything, I had to, I had to earn it. Right. And so it, my dad told the story at my wedding when he knew I was an entrepreneur in kindergarten, when I started selling donuts to my classmates every day, um, and, you know, making money and, and that carried all the way through my elementary age and middle school. Um, I ran a landscaping company, um, meaning I actually went out and distributed flyers to everybody's homes, went out, consulted, gave estimates, took the jobs, cut as much grass as I could, hired my friends to cut grass because I couldn't cut all the grass. Right. So that, that kind of this natural kind of inclination to figure out a way to, to make money, figure out a way, um, to create influence. Um, you know, came, came out of, I'd say necessity. Um, but what instilled it, I'm, I'm naturally actually, believe it or not, um, on the introverted side. 
Um, so I'm not a, an off the chart extrovert by any stretch. I'm actually naturally introverted in the, the statement of an introvert or an extrovert an introvert, you know, it takes energy, you know, to be out in front of others. Right. And, and an extrovert gets energy. Right. Um, uh, so it wasn't like I was just this natural, you know, life of the party, want to be out in front of everybody kind of personality. Um, but just saw that sales, I could learn from a very early age that, that, that the ability to influence and, and sell was the most important, you know, skill. I just kind of intuitively kind of realized that, that you had to be able to, to create influence, uh, which is the definition of leadership, your third point, of course, but, but I think that's what sales is. So in the beginning, it's 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 influencing leading a, a customer or a potential customer, right? Um, and then as you start building a, a team, right, it's it's influencing leading the people within the organization as well. So when I got started in, in real estate, I was a single agent like everybody else starts off. Um, but within just literally a few weeks before I even had my first sale, um, I realized I had to spend my time from eight to eight out prospecting. I didn't have time to do all this administrative stuff. Um, so I hired one of the unproductive agents in my office to be, assist me, right? And it was supposed to be part-time. By the end of the first week, she was working 50 hours a week. Three weeks later, I hired a second assistant. And then as all of a sudden, I had 10, 15, 20 transactions under contract, I hired a transaction coordinator, right? So I had three assistants within three months in the business. I wasn't afraid to hire and start you know, building support so I could go out and sell and do the things that were the highest and best use of my time. And it wasn't necessarily at that point, I think that I was so good at it. It was that I was willing to do it. Right. I was willing to go out there and knock on doors, literally and figuratively. I was willing to to dial for dollars, literally and figuratively. Right. I was willing to work harder than everybody else. So because I was willing to do it, I did it. Right. Um, and results came. I don't think I was particularly skilled out of the gates or had some great scripts or some great process. Right. You just learn stuff. You knock on enough doors. Fit Literally, you learn that people shut the door on you. And and if, if they can. So you learn simple, silly stuff like, you know, I say, hey, can I come on in? I put my head down and start moving my feet and just walk in before they can say no, right? You learn that when you ask for somebody's phone number, I start off with saying, all right, so your phone number is 484, even though I have no clue if that's the start of their phone number, that they're more likely to give it to me, right? Um, you just start learning things. You start trying it because you're doing it so much. You're facing so much rejection. You just start testing, right? So it just came from just saying, hey, I don't want to have the door shut on me every time, right? So how do I get people to open the door more? Right. It came to when I was knocking on doors selling alarm systems, realizing that nobody wants to buy an alarm system. Right. It's like insurance. Right. It's like, you know, you, you, you'll never need it until you need it. Right. But I realized everybody loves to buy the stuff that they actually enjoy. Like I at the time it was iPods and Nintendo Wii's. So I started going out and buying iPods and Nintendo Wii's and carrying them with me as I knocked on doors. And I offered them a free iPad or Nintendo Wii if they bought an alarm system. They make a $3,000 investment to get a $200 gift. Wow. They got that gift today, right? It was instant gratification, right? So you just just test. If you care enough and you want to be good, great at what you do, you just try enough and, and push enough that you get you get good. Hmm. Uh, I, I was thinking about how you said um, <laughs> you're sort of subtle tactics to getting in the door, getting the phone number, like, man, Don would have been a great wingman when I was single. <laughs> you would be good. Yeah. Just Don, I want that number. I want those numbers. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, um, so you inherently had sales. You kind of knew what worked, what didn't work. You were always willing to test, try, willing to just do it, um, hire those three, uh, four assistants. Let's talk about what inspired this book and what, you know, build, building an elite organization. And then you started, you know, like 
documenting and sharing with others systems teams and processes and the importance of it yeah thank you um so i you know i'm an avid reader um and uh, i read uh have for since i've been in, in business at least two or three books a week i uh, mainly listen to them but so i i i consume a lot of information and 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 one of the things i i learned early on when you listen to the jim collins of the world or the john maxwells of the world or you know all these great gurus um and i'm a huge jim collins and john maxwell fan but um but you realize so often they teach about a specific tactic or strategy or area of the business as if that's the the one thing you need, right? You listen to one expert. If you just got great at leadership, you just got great at hiring, you just got great at operation, you just got great at content marketing, you just got great at strategy, you just got great at, you know, that would be, that would solve all your problems. And and that's not the way it works, right? If you put all your focus and energy around one singular area, you don't end up with an elite organization um, by any stretch. If anything, often you end up with a, a lopsided business, right? If I get really great at marketing, but I don't have the people or operations to handle it. I'm going to lose money, not make money. Right. Um, and so, so I was taking all these different ideas and kind of pulling them together into coming up with my system, right. To, to running my business, taking all the best ideas from all these, these experts and, and, you know, experts in the field and people I met, but um, I read a book um, uh, about 10 years ago now called traction um, uh, by my friend, Gina Wickman. And I was like, wow, this is the first person that book I've read, first person written a book that really pulls together kind of most of the key pieces of, of running a business. And so I quickly became, I not only ever did it for myself, but quickly became an implementer for uh, EOS um, and implement it into my business. And it was great because at the time I had about 40 or 50 employees and it was a terminology and a language and systems and structure that everybody could understand and, and we could put into place. And, and it was wonderful. And, and as mentioned a moment ago, Gina is a good friend of mine. Um, but when we're growing at the pace we've been growing at and, and the size we're getting to, we realized it was missing still a lot of pieces. It's great from zero to 50 employees, maybe. But then you get to a point where it just there's more complexity that doesn't cover more pieces that aren't there. There's kind of gaps. Um, uh, so we started you know, solving those gaps and building tools and processes, taking ideas from, say, Sean Covey's book, uh, Four Disciplines of Execution, and from Vern Harnish, and and developing things that we needed. And really, within a couple of years, we realized we weren't running EOS or what traction's on. We were running something different. And we branded that the Elite Execution System, which is what we run today and what I wrote the book on. And and the big kind of pivot to why I wrote the book and um, and how kind of why we now teach this system to others came from kind of our our, our kind of core business. So our core business today is um, we provide capital to real estate developers, operators, builders, home flippers, et cetera. And we're also a large developer and operator ourselves, but but we you know finance debt and equity into into real estate deals. And I had a individual who was uh, one of my bigger original borrowers. We got started as a lender in 2014. And in late 2018, one of my biggest borrowers, somebody who I would talk about as a success story at our investor events and such, called me at 9.30 at night on a Thursday night in, in basically a distressed panic. And he was rambling all over the place and and um, and took me a few minutes to find out why he called me, what, what the reason was. And the long story short is he couldn't make payroll on Friday. So it was Thursday, 930 night, couldn't make payroll Friday. And he starts telling me all his problems. You know, he thinks his his controller was stealing from him. 
and he had to fire his controller. Um, he hadn't been able to hire any good people. He hadn't been able to develop leaders. He is the company's grown. He's doing everything himself. You know, he went from a home flipper flipping 10 homes a year to owning $150 million of real estate over the four years of us, you know, funding him. And, um, and uh, he's working, you know, 80, 90 hours a week, having to do everything himself. And he's working so much that his wife just filed for divorce this week and is taking his two young kids. Right. So he's in a, in a mess of a situation personally and, and professionally. Right. And, it hit me like a punch in the gut uh, because up until that very moment he had called me, I thought he was a success story, right? He was somebody I thought, man, I really helped this guy, you know, scale his business. And it hit me right then and there that night that I'd only helped him with one area of his business. I helped him accelerate it. I helped him grow it. I provided him the capital to grow. But as I teach in the book, there's four quadrants of a business, strategy, people, operations, and acceleration. We only helped with acceleration. We weren't helping him hire and develop people. We weren't helping him develop leadership. We weren't helping him put in operations and discipline into his business. We weren't helping him come up with a, a clear strategy to what he was doing. He was investing in all different asset classes and all, all different approaches, no clear, concise plan. Um, and it hit me right then and there that that we'd missed the boat. You know, We should be teaching these operators what we've learned ourselves the hard way is needed to run and grow a great business, not just about the capital. Um, so I started helping him put the lead execution system into his business. And I started realizing a number of our other clients had similar challenges, not as dramatic as his, but similar challenges. And we started going in and helping them implement this. Um, and that led to me writing the book and and launching the technology and, and really formally helping companies, you know, build an elite organization. Oh, wow. That's great, man. What were the four disciplines against it? Strategy? People. Yeah, four quadrants of business. I think about the four kind of legs to the sto- to the chair per se: strategy, people, operations, and acceleration. Yeah. Acceleration is sales and marketing. Gotcha, gotcha. You also mentioned earlier that you have uh, five keys to success. Yeah, you mentioned growth mindset. What, what were the other four? So the first one is intention, intentionality. So I believe, so I'll take a quick step back. You know, I think of life as, as living fully as, is one of, is, is kind of a, a goal in my life. It's one of our core values is living fully. And, and I think of living fully as achieving your goals and, and the success and happiness in all the areas of your life. So we call them the eight F's of life, family, friends, freedom, fun, fulfillment, fitness, and finance. And I believe you can achieve your goals in all of those areas at the exact same time. Um, I believe in the concept of work-life integration instead of work-life balance. So, um, so uh, the, to achieve success in, in family front, in business or finance, and and in faith in any area of our lives, um, I believe if you apply these five keys, or a better way to think of them, are choices or commitments that you may that you commit to doing. Um, you can, you can do anything. So the first is intention, intentionality. I have a very clear, um, uh, you know, uh, meaning to what you're doing every minute of the day, um, uh, why you're doing something, doing everything with a, with a clear purpose, which is, which is the second key, which is having purpose. Third is, is goals. Fourth is grit. And fifth is a growth mindset. So I believe if, if you approach, um, your life with, with clear intentions, um, with purpose, um, set clear goals, um, and then have grit and a growth mindset towards everything you do, um, you can accomplish anything. And we build this tool we call the personal compass, and one we call the family compass, and one we call the elite compass, which is for your business, that kind of helps lay out clear intention to our lives, purpose, sets goals, long-term, mid-term, short-term, 
And if we apply grit and a growth mindset towards our goals, you can you can uh, accomplish anything and, and probably much faster than than you thought. I am hoping. Thank you for sharing all that. It's a lot to unpack, you know, in just a few minutes and to explain. So thank you for the clarity. But I'm hoping that, and I know you have events, and I'm going to one of them very soon in Puerto Rico. Thank you for the invite. You go over some of these things in more in greater detail, and that the people that are within the group are the people that everything you're talking about, everything you're sharing here with this audience, are the people that want to elevate, that want that growth mindset, that purpose-driven mission, the intentionality behind it, the grit, the prosperity, all of that. Right. So can you speak a little bit about um, what I can come to expect uh, in the coming weeks when we're all together in Puerto Rico? And then also um, how often do you do those events? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we do these these events. Uh, we call it kind of our signature events, these bigger events about three times a year. And then we do, you know, kind of smaller events often as a sort of a tag on to events like a GoBundance or Best Ever. Do these different conferences we'll do a Best Ever example in March. We're doing two full days of content, a part of the Best Ever event. Um, so we'll we'll do those kind of events on different different topics, but um, we do kind of standalone you know signature events at DLP about three times a year, and we kind of have a different theme to each event. This event's the first time ever we're doing an event on uh, longevity, health, and wellness, and and I I have a goal to live to 150, um, God willing, um, which people laugh about, but I, I tell people once they leave this event, they're going to also believe they can live to 150, but. You know, longevity isn't just living longer and living healthier and having a longer lifespan, healthspan. But I also think of longevity as as being at the peak of our capability, our capacity, our our influence um, for as long as possible. Right? You look at athletes today. I know you know not you know not in the uh, in the public view for the right reason right now. Tom Brady or a LeBron James. You look at man, these guys have been at the peak when the, they're the young. You know, Tom Brady's. A young, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but the youngest. To ever win a Super Bowl and the oldest, right? You look at LeBron when he came into the league, you couldn't believe he was only 18. Now you can't believe he's 37, right? Um, you know, 20 years of sustained greatness, right? Uh, 20 years of being at the peak, right? That's that's longevity. Uh, so uh, so this would be interesting that we're gonna talk about you know intentionality and have great experts like Lloyd Reeb, and we're gonna talk about you know personal fulfillment, personal compass. We're gonna do a workshop on that, which is really cool. This theme's gonna be around all these medical experts, scientists focused on how do we live longer, healthier, more fulfilled lives. Then we'll have another event coming up in March in uh in New Orleans on legacy. Um, then we have one in the summer on on leadership. Um, and then we have one next um uh, fall on family. Um, so we put a different theme and then we, you know, build great content around helping, you know, people, um, you know, live a prosperous life, you know, family, fa- family, uh, 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 you know, the eight F's of, of life. And, and you know, we have a prosperity, family, wealth, and legacy kind of community that these events sort of center around and then, uh, and help people build uh, great businesses. We just did an event a couple months ago on how to 10 X your business in five years. And we've 10X'd our business any five years you pick out of the last 17 years. We've 10X'd every five years now, three times over. Jeez. Wow. Clearly, the systems work. <laughs> Everything that you put together, brother, is working. Um, I see that we are uh, getting to our time, and I wanted to not skip one of the most important parts of the show, which is embracing the F word, meaning failure. So if you could share a vulnerable moment, a lesson learned through failure with the audience that'd be great yeah you know i i i i think about failure probably different than 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 some and that i i really don't um uh 
think I've I've had a lot of actual failure because I think as long as you it's not you know it's not it doesn't end you right it doesn't you know personally or your business and you're able to actually learn something from it from it it's all truly growth opportunity. I know a lot of people say that but but that's really how I, I look at it so I have you know tons of failure right I started my first real job selling alarm systems door to door and when I got good I sold one alarm system per 51 doors right so 50 out of 51 times I got told no. Um, so that built that that kind of uh, comfort with being told told no. So I, I'd say that though the most common area that I find, you know, I fail and, and where the biggest failures, things that have affected me uh, most um, over the last call it decade, um, has been around people. And uh, you know that's the hard part of business. The, the right, the great great and terrible quote at the same time is you know business would be so easy if it weren't for the people. And, uh, you know, hiring and developing leadership, um, leaders who lead other leaders is the biggest challenge I've faced so far in my my business, right? Going from being a time teller, as, as Jim Collins calls it, to a clock builder, right? Building other people who can make decisions and lead the organization is a challenge. So I've made a number of hiring mistakes and trying to bring leaders into the organization. And the most common failure I've had is hiring off of resume, Right, somebody having an impressive resume and they've done what what we want to do and work for a big company, um, and a hire based on that resume, not making sure they're a fit for the culture, not making sure they have the desire and capability and willingness to do the work necessary today, um, just because they did it in the past. Um, so we've made that mistake too many times. Um, it's one I'm, I'm determined not to make again. Um, but that's that's the base area. And, and making a, a bad decision on a key seat in your organization is one that you know, causes a lot of, a lot of, uh, slowdown and, 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 and pain for, you know, many times over. Mm, so good, man. I, I want to peel those layers back. We're running out of time and I want <laughs> to get the last bit out of you before we part. And that is in one word, how do you help people? That's a tough, tough one. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the word Jesus. So I think, you know, I, I'm very blessed to get the stage, um, as you mentioned earlier, and that people want to listen to me because of the the perceived value I can create in their their life or in their business, um, that they're willing to to listen to me, and um, and, I, and I think that creates the, the the opportunity and the responsibility to be an evangelist um, because you know there's many great uh, you know uh, Christian leaders, much greater uh, Christians than I. But they're not able to have the stage in front of 6,000 people, maybe, and, and that the people will listen and respect what they say because of respecting the, the worldly things uh, that he or she has, has done. So I think that's my greatest opportunity is to connect people uh, to the Lord, um, connect people to, uh, to, uh, to eternal you know, happiness um, with a relationship with, uh, with Jesus. So good, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. Much better than the word that I was anticipating you were going to say. Um, <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. And how can people reach out to you if they want to do more, learn more? Yeah. Um, so our website is dlpcapital.com. Uh, also dlpelite.com, which you can find from DLP Capital has a link to a lot of free resources, including the personal compass and family compass, a lot of the tools that, that are that from the book. Um, so you can go dlpelite.com, dlpcapital.com. You can see all of our events uh, there as well. Um, and then you can find me on you know social media platforms. Uh, my email is don at dlpcapital.com. Uh, welcome uh, uh, providing value in anybody's lives I can. Yeah, brother. All that will be in the show notes, folks. So if you missed it because you were driving around or you know on the treadmill, 
Don is reachable. You can find it there in the show notes during the show. Thank you so much, brother, for being here. I'm looking forward to seeing you very, very soon. And we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K, at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And please recommend us to one or two people in your circle. That will go a long, long way to growing our community. Also, if you could rate us on iTunes, just take a moment uh, to give us five stars. And if they have more stars, give all of them. We'd greatly appreciate you for that. And always, always like, subscribe, and share, share, share this show on social media. We'd love you for that as well. And if you have any ideas or want to hear something on a future show, please hit us up. Maybe you have a question for one of my guests or you want to uh, tell a story, a success story. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, especially if you're on the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. Once again, folks, thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle. Please like, subscribe, and share, share, share. I am Eric Cabral, and as always, remember, your network is your net worth. So get in the circle. Yeah.